Hi, this is Amber Sprouty, also known as the Ninja Squid. And I'm Sylvia Roram, also known as Achilles Girl. And you're listening to... Podcast. A podcast about Asian action and horror cinema by two amateur enthusiasts. The views and opinions expressed on Two Fisted Podcast do not reflect those of management and staff at the Podcast on Fire Network, or probably anywhere else for that matter. We are located at podcastonfire.com, along with the other network podcasts. You can contact us via email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com, as well as on the forum. The forum is temporarily closed for registration right now, but we'll keep you updated. Those that have registered already, you can still post freely. You're the only members that have access to the members-only archive with cut conversations and exclusive movie reviews. Keep an eye out for reviews and bonus episodes on the website that are not on iTunes or on Stitcher. And we are on Facebook. Our fan page is facebook.com forward slash POF network. That's our Facebook discussion group. Just type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box at the top of your screen. We're also on Twitter. Follow us at twitter.com forward slash twofistedpodcast. That's the number two. You can find my blog at theninjasquid.blogspot.com where I... I don't know what I do. (laughs) What do I do? I don't know, but it is a full experience. I talk about stuff I like. Yeah, me too. I talk about stuff that I like at achillesgirl.blogspot.com. It's a good place to visit. It is, but you wouldn't want to live there. (laughs) Come on over to our Facebook page, The Heroic Sisterhood, Ladies Asian Action Cinema Appreciation Society. That's facebook.com forward slash heroic sisterhood. You can also rate and subscribe to us via iTunes. The Podcast on Fire Network is on there, as well as on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher.com is where you can download the application directly to your computer, order your smartphone or iPad, and stream us that way. Just type in Podcast on Fire Network in the search bar, and the options will allow you to add each and every show individually. first episode starts off with a bang. We're going to be discussing Wong Lung Wei's 1985 film Hong Kong Godfather. Yeah. The Chinese title of the movie is Heroes of East Chim Sha Choi. That's a district in Hong Kong. That's the Chinese title. There's another title on the Celestial Remaster, which kind of translates as Dragonhead Overlord. Kind of like The Godfather. I like to call this movie blood fucking everywhere. It's one of my favorite Hong Kong movies. A lot of people in the Hong Kong fan world agree that this is an awesome movie. I think that this is Wong Lung Wei's magnum opus. In my opinion, it's the best movie he ever made. And certainly if the first 40 minutes of the drama drags for you, as it does for a lot of people, it is worth watching mm-hmm. just the action. 
which builds up to what is, in my opinion, possibly the greatest final fight in Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. It's pretty good. (laughs) So let's do a quick summary of what we're going to be discussing on the podcast. First, we're going to be making drinks together with Ninja Squid. Yay! Yay! That way we can all enjoy the movie together. Then we're going to be with doing booze. Some, with booze. Booze. With booze. And then we're going to be doing some quick background information about the movie and the writer-director, Wang Longwei, including a short biography of his life before he entered the movies. Mm. And we're going to have some background context of the general movie situation in Hong Kong at that time, and that allowed this film to, to be born. And then we'll discuss the movie. And then I'm really excited because as an ex-ESL teacher, this is close to my heart. We're going to have a Learn Movie Cantonese segment featuring Frank Jang, who is the official translator for the New York Asian Film Festival. That's awesome. Yay! And we'll be having a bunch of miscellaneous cool stuff that we're going to talk about that's kind of related to the movie. Some of it is maybe not related to the movie, but it's still cool. And all of these links and information, as well as some very special photos and a written interview with martial actor Wayne Archer, who appeared in Hong Kong Godfather, will be posted on a special Two-Fisted Podcast Hong Kong Godfather blog post that we made to accompany this episode. We'll give the link to that later, and also we'll be having some excerpts from Wayne Archer's interview a little bit later on in the discussion. So, let's get it on. Let's party, dude. Before Amber helps us make a drink, let's find out how we can watch this movie. If you don't have a copy of it, how can you get it? What's the availability? There was a cut Mandarin dubbed version that was floating around on the internet or among film geek circles for many years. However, the American company Funimation just recently offered a restored version, the restored celestial version, with the Cantonese soundtrack and with all of the cut stuff added back in. The subtitles are pretty good overall. There's a couple verb mishaps and some awkward awkward non-secretors, but in general it's pretty good. And the Celestial Remaster is good quality print and it's readily available on Amazon and places like that. So really go for it. Like There's no reason to be watching the cheapo one that you can get online. It makes a pretty big difference. It does. It really does. So, Funimation, hooray, that's the best thing that you ever did. Thanks, guys. And now, we'll turn it over to Ninja Squid. Yay! Today, I will be teaching you how to make a drink called the Hong Kong Godfather. And it's a little bit of a spicier spin on the traditional Bloody Mary. And you start out with one cup of tomato juice. And you could use Bloody Mary mix, but I think that's cheating and it just doesn't taste nearly as good. You drop in a half a tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce, juice from one lemon wedge, three drops of soy sauce, light or dark, it really doesn't matter. Ew. It's, you need it. It's good. No. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, okay. I'm following along with you, so I'm gonna put I'm gonna put that in. Okay, those are those are traditional Bloody Mary ingredients. Like I haven't done anything really weird there, except sometimes you use more Worcestershire sauce than soy sauce. But since this is kind of an Asian inspired drink, more soy sauce, it just makes it like a little bit saltier. Which Bloody Marys are salty anyway. And if you use tomato juice instead of Bloody Mary mix, like you gotta put a little bit of salt up in that bitch. Okay. Now I mean, yeah. And then, <clears throat> then you put in one or two shots of vodka. Personally, I go for two shots because I'm pretty boozy. One I, shot isn't enough. Yeah, I th- I want two shots in mine yeah. too. Two shots. If you're gonna drink the whole glass, just put two shots in. And finally, capping it off, one teaspoon. It w- I do one teaspoon, maybe a little bit more, a sriracha hot chili sauce. Unlike the traditional Tabasco, it is delicious. It's sweeter and saltier than a normal Bloody Mary. And instead of garnishing the lip of the glass with salt, like you would traditionally do, I mix up chili flakes with the salt and dip it in there. That gives it a little bit more kick. Wow. There you have the Hong Kong Godfather. And if you do like salty drinks like that, or savory stuff, uh, and you're not a girl drink drunk like Sylvia, you might like it. It sounds horrible. It's delicious! <laughs> Don't well, tell people it's horrible. Before they even try it, they won't even try it. You're right. You're right. I need you to stay scare over. them. Well, now that I've made my own, cheers. Cheers, Girl drink drunk. I gotta get too drunk to dream Cause dreaming only makes me So now that we've got our drinks, we're ready to start with our background context, and we're going to start with the career of Wang Lung Wei. So Wang Lung Wei wrote and directed this movie. After being a Shaw villain extraordinaire for many, many years, he turned director, and he directed nine movies between 1985 and 1992. My one-word summary for Wang's directorial career is ambitious. He's very ambitious in scope. He had some surprisingly good story ideas. However, they didn't usually really pan out all that well. (laughs) Some of that is based on budget and era and the filmmaking equipment and just kind of the traditions that were going on in filmmaking at that time. And some of it, you got to kind of blame it on him himself. But it is clear that Wong wanted to really make big crime stories with really kick-ass, brutal action, which he certainly handled the action end of that. The interesting thing is that even though Hong Kong Godfather is only his second of his nine films, it's probably the most epic of his career. And I'm not going to count Escape from Brothel on this list because... I've never even been able to get through the whole thing. I can't really watch that movie. How many times did you try? I've tried to watch that movie. I've watched the first 20 minutes like four times. <laughs> and I always turn it off because it just, it's disgusting to me. So if anybody thinks that Escape from Brothel is actually more epic than Hong Kong Godfather, please let me know. So anyway, Hong Kong Godfather, not only does it have a really big story, but the violent action is notoriously awesome, and it's given this film kind of a film geek classic status, and I think it deserves that. 
if you haven't seen this movie, a good comparison might be the end of Chang Che's Vengeance. It's heroic bloodshed at its bloodiest. Absolutely. Now we're going to take a short and closer look at Wang Lingwei's career. I compiled a short biography using as my main source a Chinese article from a Shaw Brothers Southern Screen magazine that was scanned and put on the internet some time ago. I've had it for a long time, so I don't know exactly which year it's from, but I'm guessing it's probably 1981. The article might be from the Lynn Haynes Memorial Collection, which is found at the Shaolin Chamber 36 website. That's www.shaolinchamber36.com. That's a really nice collection. It was growing regularly until about six months ago. You can download them, so go check check it out. They have quite a number of magazines on there. Full magazines, full magazines. Yeah, really, scans. really good quality. Very good quality. Yeah. If ever, if anybody ever does find this Wang Lungwei article, which is about him being a villain, probably from 1981, please let me know so I can correctly cite my sources. And I'd love to get a better scan because mine is too blurry to entirely read, and I don't read Chinese that well anyway. So here we go, here's Johnny. Wang Lungwei, also known as Johnny Wang Lungwei, was born in 1949 in China. I still don't know what his first language is, and I kind of don't think it's Mandarin or Cantonese. Um, I'm thinking maybe Hakka or Toisan or something. If anybody knows, please tell me. I'd love to know. And to my knowledge, I've never heard his original voice on any movie. So, I don't know. Now let's look at what the article says about him. According to this magazine, which is a watered-down and cleaned-up movie star magazine, so you can't ex expect the absolute truth, <laughs> uh, Wong's hobby was fighting when he was young. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. He was allegedly kicked out of seven schools for fighting. And when he badly beat a student, and that's a quote, <laughs> in high school, he was expelled forever. He was not allowed to ever attend a high school again. And as a result, he didn't graduate. So bored, explosive, and unwilling or maybe unable to work in an office, his mother was desperate, and she bought him a guitar because he loved music. So he learned how to play, and he soon was playing in a band. Now, the article doesn't state what kind of music he played, but I'm willing to bet that it was rock. Because his own movies always feature rock, and even blues, slide guitar, the kind of American rock that's pretty authentic and rare in a Hong Kong action movie. Mm -hmm. And I also kind of wonder whether he ever played for any of his films hmm. but we don't know so if anybody knows let me know according to the article he got married and had a daughter if I translated correctly but it was blurry there so I'm not sure I know he had a child at least one and he was playing in a band at night according to what he says about himself he was completely nasty he had a really bad temper and he was out of control and he was fighting in the ring, this probably means boxing, in order to relieve that pressure. He hated his life and he wanted to change it, but he didn't know how. So one night while playing in the band at a nightclub, he met a member of the Changche production team who brought him to the Shaw studio to try out as a stuntman. 
Now, according to Wang Longwei in his own words, he says that the minute he arrived, he knew he had to work in film. But he also knew that he had to change himself completely in order to do this. Basically, he had to get his shit together, and he did it. He learned to control himself, channeling his desire to smash shit into productive work <laughs> as a martial actor. His first movie was Chang Che's Five Shaolin Masters in 1974, but he was such a master of badassery that he quickly became Shaw's supervillain, averaging about five to ten movies per year between 1977 and 1985. Hong Kong Cinemagic claims that he starred in 80 movies. I think this is so much better than getting life for murder. So, Yay! I'm proud of you, Johnny. In 1983, with many years of being the kung fu bad guy under his belt, Wong became an action director for Ko Fei's movie The Pier. This movie's kind of fun and it's shitty, but his very explosive and hard-hitting action choreography is already in full swing here. You can see it. And it also foreshadows the Choi Siu Kung Longayan team in Hong Kong Godfather. In 1985, Wong was given his first job as a director, and the movie is Shandong Madman, also known as This Man Is Dangerous. It's really mostly like silly humor with happy-go-lucky cops Chin Siu Ho and who's the other guy? Can't remember. Don't care. <laughs> But. The incredibly brutal ending is really justifiably famous. It's, it's wow. Yeah. It's, it's fury. It's ugly. It's ugly. Yeah. And I kind of like that. I mean, it's just so hardcore. Now I have not seen the the subtitled version, and a couple of our friends on Facebook, Richard Tronston, Steve Hardy, they just got a hold of the subtitled version, and I'm hoping to see that soon. But anyway, for all of its Wang Longwei fury, This Man Is Dangerous is really a small film, and I almost kind of think that maybe he was saving up everything for what came next, the epic Hong Kong Godfather. So after 1985, he basically stopped acting and he started directing, doing action choreography and writing, and he averaged about one to two films a year. Wow. 1993 through 1996, there's no work listed for him on Hong Kong Cinemagic. His last acting appearance was in 2000, SuperCop.com. Classic fucking movie, that one. Yeah, I wouldn't want that to be the last film. Well, it actually wasn't because 2001, he appeared in Sinful Confessions, a Philip Kofi Cat 3 production with Elvis Choi. Wow, how have I not seen that? <laughs> That should be on my list for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Top ten, top ten. I'm never watching Sinful Confessions because I have kind of like a romantic notion of Wong Wong Wei, and you know what? Seeing some old guy like trying to bone some chick would really break that for me. Hey, okay. First of all, he looks really good still. Okay. Second of all, Elvis Choi. Okay, you're right. You don't want to get in that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, no, no, uh-uh, no, no, no. Right. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elvis Choi, Elvis Choi. Elvis Choi. Wang Lingwei's last entry in Hong Kong Cinemagic website is the work that he did with Law Wing's 2000 film Baroness. It should be called Embarrassing. 
<laughs> I feel like I've seen it, but I super don't remember anything, if that's telling in any way. I don't remember anything that, about that, that film. That was one of those 20-minute films. Yeah, right? it just... Now, Hong Kong Cinemagic has him listed as director, and I, I think a lot of people actually believe that, but the movie credits list him only as a producer. I, the, and, and, and also, the film doesn't feel anything like a Wang Wingwei film, so I think that they're wrong, and I think that... And I've already told them to correct it, but... They've, they're busy. They've yeah, got they're things to do. Listening to me, and I wish that they would change that. So today, at 63, he's still making appearances at events, apparently. Mm-hmm. And I heard on Facebook recently from somebody who is semi-reliable. <laughs> Tan Kun Tai says that he is still friends with Wang Langwei. I want to believe that, so I'm going to. I do, too. Because <laughs> I want to have a picnic with him. Sure do. Heck, that would be nice. Uh, we're going to bust out the Hong Kong Godfather drinks. Well, all right. Oh, but you're kind of a girl drink drunk, so. It's, yeah, okay, well. Then... You might have to improvise. Yeah, yeah. You do it for a long, long way. <laughs> you do it. All right, I think we're going somewhere. Maybe I don't want to go here. Mm-mm. So let's move on to the birth of Hong Kong Godfather, shall we? Oh, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to look at a little bit of the background context for the film, place it in movie history. Because Hong Kong Godfather was not created in a vacuum. It came into being because of the other violent, gritty films that had been developing since around 1976. Mm-hmm. But because of Wong Lung Wei's incredible action, it is, in my opinion, the best triad movie from that time. And now I want to give a big thank you to the Shaw Brothers expert, Tom Farty. Thank you! Thanks! for providing me with a timeline of essential Shaw modern crime films. And you can contact him at facebook.com forward slash tjfardy. That's F-A-R-D-Y. So here's some of the essential grit that helped shape Hong Kong Godfather. Starting in 1976, Hua Shan made a seminal movie called Brotherhood starring mm-hmm. Law Wing. That's an excellent film, and I'd like to thank Brian from Cool Ass Cinema for turning me on to that movie. Cause there's Thanks, a- Brian! Thanks, Brian! And also in 1976 was The Criminals. I love that movie. <laughs> I know Personal it's- favorite. I feel sad because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, well, you save it for later. You'll eventually run out of movies, and then you'll still have Criminals left. Oh my god, yeah. you're so right. You know, when you save a really good movie, because you know you're going to run out of them eventually... It'll be like a treat. I see. I don't do that. Like I always eat the candy first and then never eat. Oh no! You know. No. Never no. Eat dinner. However. Shame on you. I know. Even if I watch the criminals, I will still have Wong Chung's The Informer, which came out in 1980. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen that one either. I haven't either. I still haven't. And 1981, Wong Chung came out with Murder Pursues, and also Mob Fix Patrol. And Nam Nai Choi was a cine- cinematographer for that. Hmm. And in 1982, Nam Nai Choi came out with Brothers from the Walled City. Oh, that movie. Uber nasty. It's full of so many cringe moments. Like, I get douche chills so many times when I watch that movie. It's hard to watch. It is a difficult movie. To I mean, it's really good, but it's, it's awesome. really bad. It's, it's so awesome. Bad. Yeah. It's horrible. It's hard-hitting and it's ugly. You know, this is like yeah. pretty urban crime. Also, Cooley Killer came out in 1982, and uh, 
I, I always thought that was a lot later. Because, you know, Hong Kong movies, a lot of times you can't tell, like, they were made in, like, 1995, and you think, right. like, made in, like, 1981 or right, 1962, right. you know? Yeah. Because of the quality. Yeah. So I always thought Cooley Killer was a lot later, but it actually is pretty early movie. It came out in 1982, so kudos to you, Cooley Killer. Look at you. Yeah. 1983, Nam Nai Choi's Men from the Gutter. That movie's wow to me. <laughs> I, I love that movie. Love it. Hard-hitting shit in that movie. I'm going to show how much of an idiot I am and say that I still haven't seen that either. <gasps> I know. Watch that right away. I know, I know, I know, dude. I do. But you have seen Kirk Wong's Flash Future Kung Fu, which also came out in 83, right? Yeah, which is weird that I've seen that and not, <laughs> not meant for me. I don't, know what, that, I don't right? know what that says. What is that saying about you? I don't, I don't know. I like <laughs> things that are sometimes not that great. It's not that great, and it's completely bizarre, and it's yeah. totally lovable to me. I like it still. Yeah. I will watch it again. <laughs> it's completely amazing. I might watch it again before I, I watch Cooley Killer. Who knows? I'm a, I'm a wild card like that. <laughs> so Philip Chan was also making movies. Uh, the Gun is Law is one of his movies. Chow Yun-Fat's The Long Goodbye. Um, those came out in 83. And Wang Long Wei did action choreography for The Pier, as we mentioned earlier. And in 1984, the absolutely remarkable classic, Long Arm of the Law, Written by Philip Chan, produced by Sammo Hung, and directed by Johnny Mac. This isn't a triad film, but it's a big circle movie. I do hope to do a podcast on the subject of big circle crime in Hong Kong cinema in the near future. That would be cool. It is cool, because I love, I love the big circle boys and that whole subject, and it has been represented in Hong Kong cinema a lot, so hopefully there will be a podcast about that. And it's very interesting. Too. It is, it is. Interesting stuff. And in Long Armor the Law... We see Sumway. Sumway appears, amazing actor, and we will yeah. be discussing him later. Love him. Every time I see him in a film, the first scene that he's in, I sort of feel like that scene in Wayne's World where he sees Tia Carrera for the first time in Dreamweaver plays. <laughs> I, I did I didn't see that, but he's but he's I'm pretty important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love him. I I love I love Sumway, and we're gonna talk about him a little bit later on. So that was 1984, and also in 1984 was Lang Beardy. His totally psychedelic profile in anger. Mm-hmm. I don't even know like how to even... <laughs> there are no words for how wonderfully bizarre that movie is. <laughs> so we'll just go on. And then Why? finally we have stuff like Melvin Wong's Finger on the Trigger. So Melvin Wong, Philip Chan, they were making these pretty low budget, but very, very violent crime films. And here I want to say that I had the great honor to interview the English martial artist Wayne Archer, who actually appeared in Hong Kong Godfather. So cool. Yeah, and we'll uh, be looking at that interview a little bit later on. This is what he has to say about the movies that were being made at that time. Shaw's, and especially the triad genre, was pushing the boundaries as far as possible in terms of violent action which was just routine and expected in those movies. So there you go. So now we're up to 1985. Wong Chung did the annoyingly misogynistic Cop of the Town. Shame on you, Wong Chung. Yeah, I wasn't real happy with that. 
And then finally, Wang Longwei makes his grand entrance as the completely sociopathic killer Shenbang Madman. This man is dangerous, as we mentioned earlier. And Hong Kong Godfather! Yay! Hey, and now we can talk about the movie! <laughs> finally! So, you know, I'm so lazy that I just want to read a short version of a summary that I wrote for Hong Kong Cinemagic a long time ago. And since I wrote it, I'm like, okay, I can steal this. It's okay. <laughs> it's yours. Yeah. And I'm going to try really hard to avoid spoilers, but this is a heroic bloodshed movie, so I think you know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's... there's. <laughs> but believe me, I'm going to try to respect anyone who has not seen this movie. I don't know how I can not tell what happens, but I'm going to try. You can do it. Thanks! <laughs> so here's a summary. The summaries are boring, but we need to know somewhat what's going on, so... Elderly triad leader Han, which is played by Set Kin. Yeah. He controls Shim Cha Choi East, along with the relative newcomer Rotten Chi, played by Sun Wai. And Han's sworn brothers, ultra permed Playboy Long. Oh, that perm. That rat tail. Played by. Yeah, it's got both, right? <laughs> played by Norman Choice Yu Kang. And corrupt cop Sergeant Man, who is played by Chung Kin. When dastardly New York triad leader Lam, who is played by Wang Chun, and his henchman Ding Lo Sam, that's Kong Long, when they return to Hong Kong and start muscling their way into Han's territory, Han pushes back and a turf war ensues. Han's favorite sworn brother, Mad Wei, that's Beardy, has to come out of retirement to protect his brothers, find and stop the mole who's undermining the gang, protect his own daughter, and seek bloody vengeance on Lam and his horde of minions. There's some major ideas, even lines, straight out of Coppola's Godfather. For Set Kian especially, he's like, you know, drugs are bad and K, and he just wants to retire and play with his grandson. It's just kind of Coppola. But I think that's pretty common in Hong Kong cinema, and I actually kind of like that when I see that. Like when Chow Yun-Fat does... In Tragic Hero, he totally plays Marlon Brando. He does the chin, he goes, ah, like he scratches his chin. Yeah. And I kind of like that. That it's derivative? Yes! I like. Okay, <laughs> thank you for that word, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's derivative. Yeah, the story of this film is nothing new. Thank you. I, I mean, we've never seen anything like that before. That, that, yeah, that doesn't mean it's not awesome. Yeah, it just, and it's it. like a fucked up way, I really like that. So it's cool, <laughs> it's all good, you know, it's okay. My main problem with the story is that the characters have no inner conflict. There's no irony, except for Sunway. Sunway does have some. The story really plays out on just a surface level only. And also a lot of it is told, not shown. And I hate that. You gotta show. Yeah. So it's not really deep. It's basic. It's not terribly gripping. Typical Brotherhood revenge story. However, it's really on a much larger scale than most of the Hong Kong crime films of this time. Mm-hmm. And the action is kick-ass. It is so kick-ass. Okay, so let's talk about the cast for a minute. I think the cast is fantastic. It really is. But it, it kind of what turns it's what turns this into a, maybe a better movie than it than it could have been. Agreed. <laughs> there's so many stars in this. First, there's Longayan, Beardy, mm-hmm. and Norman Chu. Yeah. Miss you, Kong. They were huge stars at that time. 
and Sekin. Yeah. Legend. The man. Yeah. He was 72 years old when he made this movie. What? Yeah. He was really? Born, yeah, he was born in 1913. He was 72 in that movie. Can you believe that? My God. <laughs> love that guy, man. Seriously. And I love his voice, and I love being able to hear his voice. He did his own voiceover in post-production. Wow. I love the guy. I can't keep my eyes off of him when he's on he's, the screen. He's so great. He's yeah. totally riveting. And, of course, the absolutely outstanding actor, Samwai, as Chika, or Rotten Chi, who is their mm-hmm. adversary. We're going to have a little shout-out for Samwai toward the end of the podcast. Totally. He is responsible for almost all of that emotional content in the entire movie. Yeah. you got to have a good bad guy. He, yes, and he is... An unbelievably good bad guy. He is this frightened, egotistical asshole. He's so disgusting and very three-dimensional. So he is really providing the dramatic link between all of the major events that happen in that movie. And without him, I think this story might have been almost unwatchable. Because... You know, as adorable as they are, Norman and Beardy, you know, they're not the greatest emoters. Oh, no. Oh, there. Come on now, you know. Right? Am I right? I think Norman Chu is pretty good. As an emoter? Better than Beardy. Yeah. I, lo- I, like, I like Beardy. Beardy has those wiggly eyebrows when he tries to <laughs> yeah, be upset. He does. He's, he's like, um, oh my god. What is her name? They're the one with the, sca- the face that scares me so much. Surely you. Does she have wiggly eyebrows? She, because nothing else on her face moves. She moves her eyebrows a lot. And he does the same thing, and I don't know why. His wiggly eyebrows, his eyebrows, because that's him emoting. And his fingers, his weird fingers. See, Those you things go, are everywhere. Go, I don't know why. I'll tell you why, because that's him acting. He's trying <laughs> to show us feelings that yes. she has never experienced. He's trying so hard. No, no, I totally love Beardy. I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm not into him, but that is... And I'll tell you, you know what? He does rampage like nobody's business. Oh, like a boss. Incredible. But he cannot display any kind of sadness or pain, and the script demands that of his character, Madway. Right. However, when he gets out the machete... Forget about it. He's a fantastic. For me personally, Choi Sukung, I'm kind of on the fence about him. Why? I think he was really likable, the the likable yet fashionably challenged young hothead. And he's pretty convincing as an injured tough guy. And oh my god, his action is so wonderful. It's so good. But you know, it's the acting. I'm sorry. It's okay. I hope people will forgive me. Well. But if anybody said that Beardy or Norman... He's an excellent fucking dramatic actor. They should have got a fucking award, man. It's true. Norman Choi, his face expressions don't really change. Like, especially in, like, Bastard Swordsman, his his facial expression never changes. Never. Through that whole movie. No. You're right. It's like those... What do you call those little posters, those little memes that people make where they have, they show um, Steven Seagal with like <laughs> right. 16 different expressions. The girl from Twilight, yeah, like right, you know, yeah, yeah. This is what these guys are, and don't get me wrong, I love these guys, I, lo- I love yeah. them to death, but you know, emoting's not their, you know, 
their thing. And also, we, we, we also got to... I need to give them credit, more credit maybe, because it also was not demanded of them. It's true. And it's not like the script was... I don't know. Like, they probably weren't, like, incredibly emotionally involved in it, you know? Like, it wasn't blowing their minds. It wasn't bringing out the greatest performance of their life or anything like that, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And Chung Kyun, who was um, Aman, and he was he was the third member of the gang, he was actually much more of a producer in his career than an actor. Hmm. But I think that he handled his role with some emotion, and um, his martial acting is very solid. So I actually enjoyed his presence in the film. I did too, yeah. And then Big Circle Boy, Kong Long, as Ding Lo Sam, who's the henchman of Wang Chun. I love Kong Long. I think he's a totally cool mofo. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that he actually does most of the talking for his boss, Lam Gahe, who is Wang Chung. Because Wang Chung is so stiff, and he's actually, and he's nervous a lot. I mm-hmm. actually laugh out loud <laughs> when harsh. I look at him. I mean, Beardy's Wiggly's eyebrows, they look like genius compared to Wang Chung. I'd, I don't know why Wang Lung Wei chose him, and he's been in more than one Wang Lung Wei movie also. Maybe they're besties. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, because there's no other explanation. Well, that was blunt. I know, and plus, he has three nipples. Okay. So, I didn't like that. Wow, that, that really biased you against him, huh? Makes me feel uncomfortable. Once you saw that their nipple, it was over. He didn't, he, he didn't even have a chance. No. Well, now we no, know. Seriously, come on, his acting... It's not good. It is beyond not good. Yeah. He's not a good actor. He's tall, though. He's he's pretty tall. He's tall. He's yeah, tall. in comparison. Uh, you're trying to think of nice things to say he's, now. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Okay, I see. However, there is another actor that I really love. I love this guy. I call him Mr. Mutton Shop. Ken Boyle. <laughs> yeah. The Guaylo of yes. all of those movies. I love that guy. Now that man emotes. <laughs> exactly. And there's also another great actor in there, and I don't know his name, but he plays Beardy's daughter's boyfriend, Johnny mm-hmm. Waka. Yeah, that guy's great. That guy, Johnny Waka is hilarious, and anyone who's seen that movie will agree. They, yeah. Everybody loves Johnny Waka. Yeah. So if anybody knows who that is, let us know. And as usual in Hong Kong cinema, women are there to enhance interior decoration. Mm-hmm. And also, I believe this is my opinion, to escalate the men's fights. Oh, I'm sure. The actress Choi Suk Won is Playboy Lung's girlfriend, Connie. She only appeared in ten movies. They're, they're just forgettable. She has a very... She was in Rouge. She was in Rouge, oh, I think. Was? Right? Oh, I yeah. know that. Yeah. She has a very strong presence here in this, in this movie, and I thought that she, she, her action... She's actually a totally good actress. Yeah. She's totally good. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see more of her. Maybe I should see Rouge. I haven't seen that. Can you handle some romance? There's no fighting in that movie. Oh, well, forget it then. Can you do? Can you do that? Can you do Leslie Chung? No. Make it Eye Babies? No. You can't no. do that. Sorry. Alex Mann's in a, a lot. He is. Yes. Okay, I'll watch it. Here we go. So the production of this movie. This seems like a really expensive Shaw movie to me, especially for the time. It's a good-looking film, actually. It is. And I also suspect that something different was going on financially by that time. And I don't know a lot about Shaw history at all, so I could just be talking out the side of my neck. 
But even though this is a Shaw film, at the end, in the credits, there's a whole bunch of ads. Mm-hmm. You know, like the restaurant and the... Right, right, right. Product placement stuff. Thank you. And it, what it points to, to me, is that Wang Lung Wei had to come up with the funding, or maybe the locations. And so he had right. to thank people right. at the end. Uh, I have never seen another Shaw movie that has advertisements at the end. And this one has a whole bunch of them. Hmm. And a lot of them are locations. And there are some really, really good locations in this movie. There really are. I think that's what sets it sets it apart a little bit. Yes. You're not looking at the interior of the exact same... The like, gigantic carpet. Over and... Yeah. The carpet. The carpet. This is shot on Kowloon Streets in harbors. They commandeer a gigantic plant nursery and just smash it up. Ugh. And there's also interiors that look really, really authentic, which Mm -hmm. is kind of surprising for a Shaw movie because usually they're not real. There's restaurants, storehouses, and uh, Setkin, Hongo, his house is very authentic looking. It looks like a real house. Right. And also there's an interior in the fish farm toward the end of the movie that I think also looks very authentic. And they also filmed inside of the famous uh, Wing On Center, which is a famous Hong Kong shopping mall. Mm-hmm. That's used for the final fight scene. They're uh-huh. all over that. They are all over that. Yeah, they are. It's cool. It is very cool. And that that definitely adds to the realism and this urban mm-hmm. grit kind of feel for the movie. Yeah. It's very not Shaw. You know? It makes it legit. Yeah. And I know uh, Brotherhood in 76, they filmed in the Wall City for that. Mm-hmm. I think a tiny bit of Hong Kong Godfather may have been filmed at the edge of the walled city, but I'm not really sure. And if you want to see the Wing On Shopping Mall, you can see it. Our Facebook bud, Sam Shimada, he posted his video tour of the mall. Which is very cool. On our Heroic Sisterhood Facebook page. He posted that in April of 2012. If you want to go and try to look it up on there, it's a fun watch. Because he specifically follows and points out the um, Hong Kong Godfather fight scene locations inside of that mall so it's really cool as most of us know people people who watch hong kong cinema know that most hong kong cinema up until very recently was shot without sound and then it was just dubbed during post-production and this is one of those movies and i don't know about other people from the very (laughs) first time that i ever saw a hong kong movie i wanted to learn cantonese immediately and it took me a long time before i could start learning cantonese i took some mandarin classes or whatever but Watching Hong Kong movies made me want to learn Cantonese. I have have the good fortune to live in San Francisco, so I was able to learn Cantonese, and I am still learning Cantonese now from native speakers in San Francisco. However, a lot of people I know don't have that option. So I'd like to introduce the segment that's coming up right now from Frank Jeng, who was the marketing director for Taiseng Video for 10 years and is the official translator for the New York Asian Film Festival. And Frank is going to teach you how to say something in Cantonese. So our segment is Learn Movie Cantonese with Frank Jang. Yay! Thank you, Sylvia, and hello, this is Frank Jan. Some of you may recognize me from the audio commentaries I've done for Tizing Entertainment. Anyway, today I'm going to teach you the word Tai Lo. It's an important word to know if you watch Hong Kong cinema because it's very common and you hear it a lot. What does Tai Lo mean? Tai Lo literally means big brother, 
Although it is also oftentimes using Hong Kong cinema as a term of respect to show the position of the person in the triad hierarchy. In other words, when you address your triad leader, if you're in the triad and you address your triad leader, you call him Dai Lo. So let's listen to it in the movie. Here, many guys are arriving at a party and you can hear them greeting their big brother, the chief, the triad leader, by calling him Dai Lo. So, were you able to hear the words clearly from that previous clip? I know it's a little bit um, crowded, but don't worry. Here are three more clips of Norman Choi, Beardy, and Shum Wai repeating the words Dai Lo. Dai Lo. Dai Lo. Dai Lo. So, now that you've listened to the term several times, do you think you can pronounce it now? Anyway, here's another review of the terms Dai Lo. Here you can hear a group of triads greeting the big brother as he enters the room. Okay, now we're going to hear the term being spoken within a sentence. See if you can hear the words Dai Lo when Shum Wai calls someone to be careful with the gun. <laughs> so, were you able to hear the words dialogue at the end of the sentence? Here, however, Shumway wasn't really addressing a big brother or trial leader. He's using the term dialogue as an emphasis on the action being taken so that his colleague would be more careful with the gun. So, literally, that line translates as, Be careful with the gun, man. Does that make sense? Okay. Now we're going to go into a little bit deeper meaning of this term. In a previous clip, you heard someone say, Now why do they add ah at the end of the word? So that it either becomes or The addition of the word ah does not change the meaning of the word. It mainly put an emphasis on a term to make it either stronger or more endearing, caring, or personal. So when you hear someone says, he or she is essentially emphasizing the situation being involved. But when they're saying Tailoa is a more personal term, is a more personal address to the person. Which brings us to the fact that the term Dailo, in addition to it meaning big brother, is also a term of respect. Triad members address their leaders at Dailo, not because the leader is their blood brother, which is obviously not, but because of the leader's ranking, experience, age, and above all, elderly respect. This is what is commonly known as giving face. By calling someone Dai Lo, you are essentially giving them face in front of others. And giving face is a big thing in Chinese and Asian culture. There are also other similar terms. In many ways, the term A Tao, which literally means the head, is a more powerful term than Dai Lo, because A Tao is the person who is above everyone else. So, A Tao essentially means chief. In the triads, you can have many Dai Lo that runs or watches over the different districts, nightclubs, casinos, etc. But they will always report to one A Tao. A less powerful term, but one that also conveys the meaning of respect, will be Dai Go. Go literally means brother. So Dai Go, in many ways, is the more accurate term for Big Brother too. 
So think of Dai Lo as say big person or big boss, and you kind of understand how Dai Go is used. To cite a perfect example, Jackie Chan often refers to Samuel Hong as his Dai Go, not because Samuel was his true blood brother, but because when they were both at the Peking Opera School, Samuel was Jackie Senior by a few years. So that's why Jackie would call him Dai Go out of respect. But that respect is slightly on a lower level than the respect they both give to the Sifu Master Yun. In this next clip, you'll hear the great Shekin, famous as Mr. Han in Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon, addressing his subordinate Wai with an informal name, Awai. And Wai responds with the usual Dai Lo. Awai. In this next clip, we hear a triad leader passing by two of his inconsequential bodyguards, who immediately respond by addressing him as Tai Lo. And the leader doesn't even need to respond with a reply. All he needs to do is acknowledge them that he heard them calling him Tai Lo with a hmm. Tai Lo, Tai Lo, hmm. So, now that you've listened to this term many times, you may ask, well, can the term be used outside of triad society? Well, of course, because Dilo is really means big brother. So, brothers and sisters are going to use this term. Um, someone who you look up to, you can call him as your Dilo. Um, co-workers who are friend, buddy-buddy, can also address each other as a Dilo. And you can also use the term in situations where you want to emphasize your reaction to it, just like the um, the line that we heard about some white telling someone to be careful with a gun. And girls and women also use the term. So this term is not limited just to triads. But yes, you do hear it a lot in triad movies. So that's why Dai Lo is such an important term in Hong Kong cinema. Anyway, before we um, end today's uh, lesson, let's say it one more time. Dai Lo. Any questions? If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at frankjan, that's F-R-A-N-K-D-J-E-N-G, at yahoo.com. Until next time, joy gin. Bye! Thank you so much, Frank. That was awesome. Totally awesome. You know, one of my favorite parts of Hong Kong cinema in general is when a Chinese dubber does the voiceover for a Westerner. Okay, this is like the exact opposite of what we just listened to. So the dubber speaks English with a really strong Chinese accent. I love that. I love that. I listen for that. St- I, I'll just... I will rewind on my DVD player and listen to it again. because Do you get excited every time makes you me see a white person? Just yes, talking with a heavy Chinese accent. I love it. Yeah. There are a couple really good lines in Hong Kong Godfather that were done by the Chinese dubbers <laughs> because there's a lot of Westerners in that appear in that movie. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is my favorite. So just <laughs> listen to this one. <laughs> It's a question. Come on. <laughs> Come on. And those women's voices would never sound like that. No, no, no. Yeah, it's so... It's. 
This is said by some white chicks yeah. who are swimming nude yes. at crazy evil child leaders' fantasy dream home. So there's like all these nude white women around because you know that's like super raw power. Of course, yeah. You got you got white bitches. What more and, do you need? And that's what they sound like. Yeah, love it. Come on, cracks me the hell up completely. So yeah, there's some nudity and there's boobies here. If you're interested, they're kind of weird boobies. Just forewarned, they're it's a little not weird. A whole lot, you know. No, it's like it's like one scene. Yeah, and there's like a little bit of buttocks but you know no. yeah and then there's like some serious merkin action i don't know if that's really hair or a merkin because he... no no full frontal sorry no 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 but you know actually for for the nudity which you know is minimal there's no sexiness in this movie no well well no there's no sex but there is a little bit of sexiness where Just like a little bit well like connie's underwear starts getting pulled off when they're making out there's a little bit of that that's kind of hot. That's true. That's true. But for the most part, the nudity is here just to kind of display yeah. power for it, men. It's very little. It's it's really very... It's very little. And for, for Playboy Lung, you know, like, for him sp- supposedly being a Playboy, you know, first off, he always puts his bro before women, but that's normal, right? Right. But for being Playboy Lung, he's very much in love with Connie, and he has this totally romantic, loyal, yeah. not sexy relationship. They don't he's do it. trying to get sexy. He's, he's too. trying. She's holding out. And then you know at one point, she's like, just wait, take it easy. He's like, I've already waited for two months. Two whole two months, months, bitch. Two months, dude. Two whole months, bitch. What are you, a lesbian? Yeah, you must be, you must be a lesbian. <sighs> if you're not falling for that rat tail and jerry curl. You must be. You must be a lesbian. Frigid lesbian. A lesbian. Well, as a woman, I just don't think that that movie is very sexy. However, I think the action is incredibly sexy. Yes, yes, absolutely. The action is stupendous. And it's really what makes Hong Kong Godfather a must-see. It is this balls-out, bad-ass fighting, and this is what Wang Lung Wei will be remembered for. Absolutely. This is his real contribution to Hong Kong cinema. A tear rolls up in my eye. Single tear. His legacy. So even though the action is totally incredible, this movie is not just a cheap excuse for extended action scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, This isn't like an insta-action movie. No, no, definitely not. I mean, the first 40 minutes is all story, which is why a lot of people are like, oh my god, this movie sucks, right? (laughs) It only has three really short fights. They're light, painless, and they're mostly comedy. Right. And they serve to develop the characters. They serve to show who these people are. Right. And that's so for the first forty minutes you don't get really anything. The intro the introduction to the characters is great. Yeah. And then pretty much nothing for a while. No action. No action. No action. No no real action actually comes in until about forty five minutes into the movie. His fights are mean and desperate, angry, violent. And this is what they should be for a revenge story. Mm-hmm. Also, this, I just gotta say right now, the cinematography is top-notch. It's it's perfect. This is perfect. typical Shaw, tried-and-true stuff. It works. The angles, the editing, mm-hmm. it works so well. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a bit of a challenge there because Wang Lungwei does some stuff that I would imagine would be pretty hard to photograph. 
he has a couple scenes that are filmed in very, very tight, small spaces. Right, yeah. And that's very, very hard to do. And it comes off real, real well. So he has a pretty professional team, and they knew what they were doing, and I assume that's kind of a Shaw thing. And I just want to throw in here that a lot of people in the Hong Kong cinema fandom really gush over the final scene of Exiled. Right. Where they all just shoot each other in this tiny little space. And, you know, if you watch Hong Kong Godfather, he's got a couple scenes in very, very small spaces. He does a lot of these very highly claustrophobic scenes where he's just packing all of these people into one room and having them just go at each other, just hacking each other to death and right it's really really remarkable it's really awesome for its really claustrophobic tense feeling so you know if you like that scene in exile then check out hong kong godfather because it's crazy mean and it's really awesome isn't the like the one in small wait at the end of exiled aren't they in like the big hotel or whatever yeah but then they're like all in this foyer foyer room it's pretty small where that they have like what like 10 12 people mm-hmm. in this pretty small space it's like 12 by 12 or something oh i thought that the end was like it is it is simon oh, yam was well, on the stairs yeah like... simon yam's on the stairs but when it first starts when the scene in exile first opens where they first start blasting each other uh-huh there's all these guys that are all standing in this kind of foyer area uh-huh. It's all they're all very close to each other physically. They're they're like one foot, two feet away from each other. Right, right. And yeah. they just all start turning they just all turn on each other and all start shooting all at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great scene. It's really tense, it's really great, you know, it's mm-hmm. great gun food. However, Wang Wang Wei does it more than once in in Hawk mm-hmm. Godfather and, and it has that same feeling of just there's an awesomeness about it. Yeah extreme awesomeness especially when they're they're just they're swinging so hard they're hit, like hitting everything around them walls exactly and... <laughs> right 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 they're like yeah hitting chairs and yeah and somehow it makes it more painful oh yeah this idea of the closeness i guess is is makes it more painful it's sweaty it's stinky you can almost feel that you know yeah and he's got some great scenes in hong kong godfather where these people are just wailing on each, on each other in these tiny little spaces so that's super cool. Yeah. And the effect is really, really great. Um, Wang also really knows how to ratchet up the tension notch by notch throughout the film. So in the beginning of the film, the action starts out light, comedic, and pretty painless. And what happens is slowly it grows more and more painful and more nasty. Right. And the other element that really adds to the awesome kick-ass of this movie is Norman Choi Sukang. And Langaya, Beardy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They are super high energy. They give it 110%. Yeah. They're just flailing madmen. They're so fantastic. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. It's just the combination of his his choreography and how incredibly skilled they are. You know how highly choreographed it was, and it just doesn't look like that because they're so. it's so good. It's just done so well, you know? Yes. It, it just looks so... It's like a free-for-all and it's absolutely not that's you know it it's it looks like a balls to the wall brawl yeah because they did it right and it's chaotic and relentless and nasty and yet it is highly choreographed kudos to wang lungwei for yeah, definitely for doing that 
one of the things that I like a lot about Wang Lungwei's action is that while he's enjoying the bloodbath, he's punctuating these fights with with realistic moments. These are very brief little moments of realistic pain, fear, things like that. And I think that because he was a real fighter, he was a boxer, um, as far as I know, he right. did boxing. I think that he tried to bring some of the realities of fighting to the screen. I think successfully. Absolutely. And I think that that's one thing that really adds to... It's one of the ingredients that makes his action just so much more awesome than right. their action, which is clean, it's sanitary, and it's safe. You know, there's not a lot of right. risk, there's not a lot of fear, there's not a lot of pain. Um, in the final fight scene, we see Playboy Lung and Madway as they're climbing up the stairs, chopping away, walls spattered with blood. Playboy Lung is wounded, and he is about to chop Madway because his adrenaline has made him almost like psychotic. He's shaking, right. his eyes are bugging out, and he almost chops his friend. And then there's this almost tender moment, is kind of quick, where Madway realizes just how seriously injured Playboy Lung is. And that's a very personal moment, and it's a very personal pain. And that moment gives us a very strong emotional investment in this fight. And that is one of the ingredients that also makes Wang Lungwei's action just so successful. Mm -hmm. This is why people like it, you know. Right. I'm tempted, I want to, because I, I love the action so much, I would love to go over every action scene and analyze every action scene, but that would bore everyone. It bored me, <laughs> so I'm not even doing it. But I do want to talk about the last final minutes of the film, because they're incredible to me. It is so super amped. It's so vicious. I personally love the fight on the escalator. Once again, it's just this chaotic flailing in a very yeah. small space. And what is weird, and I might be really going out into outer space, but this reminds me of classic Chinese composition, landscape painting. The, the way that they layer, they have layers that go, go back in space. Mm -hmm. And Wang Lungwei stacks like five layers, one behind the other, to create a full composition. How artistic of him. Yeah, wasn't it? And, and I always think of a Chinese landscape painting when I look at the escalator fight scene. I, he, he's clearly stacking layers, and he does it again on the staircase. He, he's, he's doing it on purpose. And it creates a sense of chaos. And it's hard to believe that there's only three guys on the good guy team. Right. And there's some mirrors there that kind of augment that, make it look right. like there's more people fighting when there aren't. Also, there's some momentary breaks in this very, very long final action scene. It allows our brain to rest, and then when it begins again, the action gets more intense. That is a very professional way to do things. He really knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last scene, when they make it up to the last level, like the video game. Right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. They've gotten rid of everyone, and now they're fighting the big bosses. And there are, it's just this brawl between these four very excellent martial actors, Beardy, Choi Siu Kung, Wang Long Wei, and a guy named Pomson Chu, and I'm not sure how to say his name. And I don't know who this guy is. I wish I knew more about him, but I don't. He's awesome. He's totally awesome. He kicks ass. He's vicious. He's so wonderful in this fight. It's just amazing. I'm just, I can't even think of the words. <laughs> it's to me, that is one of the most exciting film fights I've ever seen. It is, yeah. 
And the whole entire final fight scene is considered in the Hong Kong cinema fandom to be really top-notch material, and, and I think rightly so. The, the final moments of, of that fight between those four guys is impeccable. So, Wang Lung Wei, kudos to you for being such a nasty son of a bitch, because Indeed. your fight scenes are art. But while we're on the topic of the action of the movie, now's the time to share the interview that I had with Wayne Archer. He took part in several of the fight scenes in the movie, and as I said earlier, he graciously shared his experience in an email interview. So now, let's listen to a short segment on how he got into the movies and his experience filming Hong Kong Godfather. And this will be read by Michael Ortega. Hong Kong Godfather was my first film. I got the opportunity when we went to the Hong Kong nightclub Hollywood East. As fans of Hong Kong cinema, we knew this was, at the time, a popular hangout for the movie stars. For me, meeting the stars I had seen on the screen for so many years was an honor. We bumped into Choi Siu Kung there and started talking. Choi told Victor Appiah, a friend of mine from London, that they needed westerners for a new movie, so he arranged to go for a casting. I did not intend to cast. I just wanted to visit the studios because I was a big fan of Shaw's Kung Fu movies. But while I was there, Wang Lung Wei asked me to do a short action sequence with the fight coordinator. At that time, my kicking ability was fairly good, especially in the early days when there was not the influx of western martial artists that would follow later. I think they were quite pleased with my performance and offered me the part, which was, frankly, a shock. We were offered 400 Hong Kong dollars per day, but frankly, this was irrelevant. I would have done it for free just to appear with the people from the movies I loved. Just to be having access to the Shaw Brothers lot was payment enough, as this place was like a mecca to a fan such as myself. Actual filming was not so long, but there was a lot of waiting around. Most of my time was dealing with assistants in the stunt team. No real injuries were suffered apart from a few bumps to the head. The worst was that I had been to the beach the day before, and my back was badly sunburnt, so falling down a flight of stairs was not ideal. As is typical of Shaw Brothers, the copious amounts of blood made my suit beyond even the best dry cleaners. For any martial artists out there who think that it's easy to film fight scenes, it's not. I will be the first to admit that most Westerners cannot perform like even the most inexperienced Hong Kong actors who know little or no martial arts, except for the few notable exceptions who I won't need to mention, as fans of Hong Kong movies will be well aware of who they are. As for myself, I had a hard time with it, and I know many others did too. Hence a lot of stunt doubling. Not so much because they weren't good at martial arts, but the timing and fluidity was a real issue. Many could not come to terms with this, especially myself. Thank you very much, Mr. Archer, for taking the time to write for Two-Fisted Podcast. In this interview and some of his behind-the-scenes photos that he took while filming... Which are amazing. They are. They will be on our Two-Fisted Podcast Hong Kong Godfather blog post. And you can find that at www dot two fisted podcast dot blogspot dot com forward slash episode one Hong Kong Godfather. So now that we've gotten all of the analysis out of the way and our background information 
I would just kind of like to bullshit for a little while because there's a lot of personal favorite stuff that I think both of us have about this movie. And I thought this might be a great time to just discuss that. I like to bullshit. Sure. We all like to bullshit. <laughs> so first, I think the fashion needs to be addressed. It, it can't be ignored. How can you ignore it? You can't. Oh my god. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's a time capsule, you know, of bad decisions in fashion. Right. It is. I have to say my absolute favorite fashion component in this film is that Set Ken, he wears the traditional hanfu, the Chinese men's clothing, and uh-huh. socks. Oh, the socks. Yeah. yeah I mean, socks. like, I had to screen cap the shit out of that because I just <laughs> almost want to hang that on my wall, you know? <laughs> Because it's just, there's something so great about that. I can't even know, I can't even explain why that's so great, but I love that. It's so old man. It's such an old man thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's, it's adorable. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the sweatpants. Just the terrible, like, tank tops and sweatpants. The sweatpants pulled up really high. You know, with that tapered ankle, you know, just, they, they kill me. I'm so, like, stove, like stovepipe sweatpants. Yes, they're absolutely disgusting. Yeah. They're truly disgusting. Yeah. They're not very attractive on the male body, I, I, no. I see. No. It doesn't matter how hot you are. You're going to look like an asshole that, in yeah. tapered like sweatpants. It's fact. However, though, one of the really iconic fashion moments of that film is when our three good guys show up in front of the Wing On Mall in Hong Kong to have their final showdown. And it's raining and thundering, because that's ominous. And they show up in black raincoats with white shoes. Yes. And that's really, really an iconic moment, and it's great. And, yeah, and, the, great. and the saw. I think that a saw was a really good fashion statement, too. Good choice. Yeah. A saw is a good choice. Sure. A really good choice. It's a better like choice than the rat tail perm thing. Um, you know what? That rat tail, the, the second I saw it, the first time I watched this movie, I fell so, so deeply in love with that hair. It is so horrible. Playboy Lung just, he just rocks his shit so hard in this movie. Like, he is so fabulous. Yes. That white jacket, you know, that, like, it's like a jury curl with a rat tail. Like, you don't see that very often. Maybe in Hong Kong in the 80s you did. You know, to me, it's new. It is, you know, yes. for me, it's new and very special. And no matter how many I see after this, this will always be the one, the one for yes. me. Yes, yeah. My first rat tail Jerry curl. <laughs> Thanks, Norman. There's that requisite basket of miscellaneous kitchen weapons <laughs> that I love. And Stephen Chow has parodied that in his movies so brilliantly. I also really love the family massacre that happens about an hour in the movie. I don't want to... Oh, that's fantastic. It's just so horrible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally unapologetic. The other thing that makes this scene so good is Samwise's performance. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, absolutely. He has this shock and delight and self-loathing and guilt and horror all at once on his face during that scene. And I think that that really makes the entire scene. The scene yeah, is absolutely, absolutely brutal. It's horrible. But Simwise emotional performance, actually, it, it added a whole other dimension of irony and sadness. Mm-hmm. 
that would not have been yeah. there had he not been able to deliver that kind of performance, which is, I think, pretty rare, actually, in Hong Kong cinema, and certainly in that movie. Oh, absolutely. He's fantastic. In yeah. Really. And, you know, I, I hate to say this because it's so mushy, but I actually felt moved. I was moved, a little bit moved. Oh. In the scene. Single tear. When he was just so conflicted. So, super shout out to him. Yeah, word. Some why, all the way. What a badass. And, you know... A little badass. Yeah, a little... He seems to have worked pretty closely with Wang Lungwei during the 1980s. Um, mm-hmm. He was an integral part. He was the entertainment, the center of entertainment in Wang Lungwei's 1986 film, Innocent Interlopers. A comedy, not particularly funny to me. It was highly entertaining. But Sumwai was what made it so very entertaining. He was also Wang Lungwei's assistant director and actor in the 1988 film, Fury. It's a pretty good movie. He was also in City Warriors in 1988 and Bloody Brotherhood in 1989. Both of those are Wang Lungwei directed films also. So I'm guessing that he worked well with Wang Lungwei because he appeared in almost all of his films. Mm-hmm. He is a very highly courageous performer, especially in the very macho industry that is Hong Kong film mm-hmm. in the 80s. Um, this is highly macho. And look at what he was doing. Yeah. You know, he was very emotional. He would be in drag. He would do things that made him look really silly. Um, mm-hmm. He's a very courageous actor, very gifted. He was also a director and writer. He won Best Supporting Actor for Long Arm of the Law at the Hong Kong Film Awards in 1984. And I got that information from Hong Kong Movie World, hkmw.com. He also wrote and directed the really good 1990 movie Triad Story. That stars Stephen Chow and Uma Dat, who that's Uncle Tat. Um, yeah. That's a great fucking movie. So, just a big shout out for him. I love Samwai very much. I think he's so awesome, and I would love to know what he's doing now. If anybody knows where he's at, what he's doing, I would love to find out. Yeah, he's great. And as we wind down our first episode, we also want to give a shout out to some of the stuff that we enjoy doing on a week-to-week basis. We run a heroic sisterhood, ladies' action appreciation cinema society page Mm -hmm. on Facebook, and that's www.facebook.com forward slash heroic sisterhood. And for this episode, we have a really big Wang Lung Wei album because we used to have Wang Lung Wei Wednesday on the sisterhood. We're still kind of doing it. I just don't have the heart to get rid of it. Kind of running out of pictures. Any new contributions would be very welcome. Absolutely. And I've got a couple blog posts about Wang Lung Wei. I'm not going to name them all because there's a lot of them. (laughs) And I personally have some Wang Lung Wei stuff on my personal Facebook page. I have Wang Lung Wei pointing album. There's also a really great Beardy page on Facebook. They post a lot of photos and videos and stuff. The links to all that stuff will be on our blog post. And when we're not recording this podcast, what do we do other than mess around on the Heroic Sisterhood? What have you been doing lately? Um, I've been trolling the internet. I don't think I've been doing anything worthwhile. I've been painting. I've been doing, I did a couple of blog posts, Asian horror blog posts. Great. And extreme trolling. And we're going to be having an Asian horror podcast soon. Yes, we will. I've been hanging out on the Facebook page, which is completely dedicated to Yuen Biao's face. Yes. That's the name of the page. 
It is glorious. It's hilarious, and check it out, because it's a lot of fun. And I've been listening to Side Park. <laughs> who is, like, the most awesome K-pop idol ever. Yeah. Super awesome. PSY. He is so kick-ass. Yeah, so PSY, look him up. He's so, so fantastic and he's really where i get my energy from nowadays we're kind of fueled by k-pop right now that's right surviving on k-pop and coffee that's right. and booze too and also. booze and booze I that out. Yeah. and i want to take this time to say thank you to my internet friend steve hardy he's also a big fan of wong long way and hong kong godfather and he has really made his movie collection available to me which i really appreciate thank you steve thanks for everything steve. That you've done He's done some cool blog posts and videos on Wang Lung Wei and Hong Kong Godfather and Beardy and a lot of the stuff that I like. And um, right before we recorded this podcast, he started a pretty epic blog post series on the directorial career of Wang Lung Wei. So it goes right along with what we're doing. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to be pretty complimentary piece to our own companion piece blog post and this podcast. So be sure to check it out. And you can find them at chopsticksonfire.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. And his YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash drunken monkey kung fu. And you can go and watch this really entertaining Hong Kong Godfather tribute video that he made. And it's a lot of fun. I also would like to thank Greg Freeman for giving me access to the behind the scenes photos taken by Wayne Archer that we have on the blog post. Greg is an excellent image archivist. He has always been very generous and helpful and patient with me because I misplace all the photos the first time around and <laughs> he has to give them to me, all of them, again. And Greg is really great and he's really got some incredible images. And also Paul, also known as Charlie Parker from The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, chanbarasperp.blogspot.com. Brian at Cool Ass Cinema, Tom Farty, Byron Bronner, Levi Baldock, Sam Shimada, and our sister in arms on the Heroic Sisterhood, Meredith Lewis. She helps run that page with us. Those guys are always making it a party for me. So Yeah, thank you yeah, guys. I go to work and they make it fun for me and I don't want to stab my brain with scissors. So that's awesome. Thank you guys. That's really helpful. <laughs> and thank you to Frank. Frank Jang for agreeing to make the Movie Count News segment. That's awesome. We Thank hope to you. feature one Movie Count News segment per Cantonese language movie episode that we make, so stay tuned for more of these. And again, thanks to Wayne Archer for agreeing to share his first-time film experience with us. And thank you to Michael Ortega for agreeing to be the voice actor on that. And finally, hugest thanks to Ken Brorson of yes. Podcast on Fire. Yes, thank you, Ken. You this- are the man absolutely never ending source of information and support and without his enthusiasm and his openness i don't think we i would never have even stayed on facebook in the first place when i first went to facebook i was like oh, i hate everybody I'm... yeah i know i know if it wasn't for the community i'd be gone by and now ken is really kind of the center of that and yes if it wasn't for ken we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now so thank you ken thanks ken yeah, so that, that's it, and it's been fun talking about Hong Kong Godfather. And next time, we hope to bring you maybe some awesome Japanese horror. I'm thinking that's what we're doing. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Maybe a Korean film or two, but I can't pronounce their names. We'll so, work on that. Yeah, when I learn how to do that, then I definitely want to start talking about Korean cinema, because I love it. Totes. 
and I do plan on doing a Big Circle Boys in Hong Kong cinema. I'm really looking forward to that one. We're going to have hopefully some entertaining guests, some funny people, and we have a couple of pretty awesome interviews already lined up. We do. We do. We're so lucky. We'll be posting information about that on Facebook, on our blog, and on Twitter. That's twitter.com forward slash two-fisted podcast. That's the number two-fisted podcast. Everybody wants to You've been listening to Two-Fisted Podcasts with your hostesses... Amber, the Ninja Squid. And Sylvia, also known as Achilles Girl. If you have any questions, concerns, input, feedback, opinions, or information you'd like to share with us, you can send an email to twofistedpodcast at yahoo.com or go to the Two-Fisted section of the Podcast on Fire Network page at www.podcastonfire.com. You can also talk to us via the Hong Kong Godfather Companion blog post. That's www.twofistedpodcast.blogspot.com forward slash episode one Hong Kong Godfather. Or on Facebook at the Heroic Sisterhood page. That's facebook.com forward slash Heroic Sisterhood. I believe you can leave comments on the Podcast on Fire iTunes and Stitcher apps. Just type Podcast on Fire into the iTunes or Stitcher search bars, but we'll probably never see those messages. So send us an email or blog comment just to make sure. You can contact our boss at podcastonfire.com or at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. The website forum is temporarily closed to new registration, but it will hopefully be fixed by the time this podcast is online. The Podcast on Fire Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash POF network and on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. You can also find the Podcast on Fire Network on iTunes. Rate and subscribe, people. Rate and subscribe. And on the streaming application Stitcher. Download us to your awesome gadget. So that's it. That's it. And have an awesome tomorrow. Yay!